It's time for JT the Brick. But I'm a sports talk host. I talk about multiple topics. Vegas, baby, Vegas. Bill Foley gets what I do. And Mark Davis gets what I do. I bring passion and energy for every second I'm on the radio. We're going big today. You, the Raider Nation, have an opinion. Sound off like you got a pair. I can't get you much more than that. JT the Brick. But let me repeat that again. The Jelly Ellis era of this team is coming to an end. We need guys who are faster, in better shape, who can attack the football. Man, I never envisioned you'd be sitting next to me as that ridiculously obnoxious, aggressive openings play. He gets what I do. Genius! We want you to win. You can help my life by winning and making my life better. We've lost that sense from a pocket of fans. You got that? I think you all get that. And now, I love it. Here's JT the Brick. All right, we're back for hour number two of the show. Feels like Thursday, but it's Wednesday. I really believe that. So it's the 12th of July. It's going to get hot here, and I appreciate you taking care of your pets. I say that every time this year, and people thank me for that because people forget about their pets. They just leave them out. They go to work. They take them for a walk. They forget because they have different habits in the summertime than they do when it's cooler here. So get those pets inside as it's going to be 106 degrees today. Keep them outside. Keep them off the hot pavement, the black tar pavement. Walk them earlier. Get up earlier in the morning. Yep, they're dogs. They're your family. It's important. All pets. I wanted to bring that up here at the top of the hour. I guess we're supposed to have a 117-degree day on Sunday. Sunday, according to my app, 117. Monday, 116. Saturday, 115. So that's going to be pretty cold, uh, excuse me, pretty hot, and we're going to have to make sure that we protect a lot of people, kids in cars and all of that. Speaking of kids in cars, my 20-year-old son is driving to Tempe now with my wife. They're probably heading over the Pat Tillman Bridge by now as my son is moving out of his year two apartment as a sophomore and moving into year three, or at least getting his stuff out and getting it in. Because they start school early. I think my son starts at ASU coming up here the first week in August. So they're taking a roadie for the night, and uh, they get a chance to listen on the app, or they can listen loud and clear on 920, where you can hear Vinny Bonsignor on the morning tailgate, kind enough to join us, Vegas Nation, all the great work he does at the Review Journal. I got a lot to get to, Vinny, but first off, how's the summer going? Again, I was just talking college. You got a college student coming up here. Exciting times in your household. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, my son Noah starts uh, college at UNLV. He decided to stay local. Uh, I think he recognizes everything that's going on in Las Vegas right now mm-hmm. and, uh, and all the great opportunities uh, that I think will be available to him uh, as he go, you know, goes through his college journey. So looking forward to that without question. And he's going to do great and a fantastic choice for a college. Excellent. A couple of things I want to kind of go all over the place. I know you were going to touch on it and talked about the ESPN column today on the Gruden leaked emails. Look, I know Mark Davis didn't leak them. Bruce Allen hired me. He didn't leak them. John Gruden didn't leak them. And when I read the article by Van Adder, I was sensing that Snyder really screwed it up because he was home free. He was probably going to get his team back. We both know he never wants to leave this team. He loves this team and brand. And that was kind of the final nail in the coffin on these emails, but it didn't point to him directly as the leaker, what'd you get out of that column? Yeah, um, you know, it was, it was interesting because it was it was kind of like, I don't know if you saw the movie JFK, uh, but it throws out a whole bunch of different possibilities on, on who ultimately uh, did, you know, did the deed. And in, and in this case, we're talking about who leaked the emails to first the Washington, uh, or excuse me, first the Wall Street Journal, and then the New York Times that ultimately led uh, to the end of, of John Gruden's time here with the Raiders. 
Uh, and there's a lot of different people that had, you know, motives to do that, maybe including uh, Daniel Snyder, albeit uh, misguidedly, because if he did it to try to distract what was going on uh, from uh, his, his tenure as the owner of the, of, of, of the Washington football team, it ultimately shined an even brighter light on what was going on uh, in Washington to the point where Congress got involved and said, hey, what's going on with Washington? We need to take a, a deeper look into this. And that ultimately led to his demise as the owner of the, of, of, of the commander. So I'm not so sure it would have been him. If, if so, it was a miscalculation on his part. But you could certainly make a case for uh, maybe it was the, you know, the NFL Players Association, maybe it was the NFL, maybe it was Roger Goodell, if I remember correctly. Uh, there were some disparaging things that John Gruden said about uh, Goodell in those in those emails. It could have also been a lower level lawyer or somebody that was part of the investigative team that mm-hmm. just turned into a whistleblower and said, "You know what? Um, this needs to see the light of day. Uh, there shouldn't be a coach in the NFL who uh, harbors these types of feelings and have said these types of things. This needs to see the light of day." It could be as simple as that. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever know, but I know that John Gruden is trying to get to the bottom of it, that's for sure. Vinny Bonsignor joins us, and I think John Gruden has the advantage here. I don't condone anything that was said in those emails, but a lot of people are on emails with their friends. They get a little bit loose. They say things that they think are going to be said in confidence, and that happens. And again, he's paying the price for that, and it's, it's a lot of money. But I'm sensing, even in this article, what I wanted to get to the meat and potatoes are, is he has the advantage in the legal system now. This isn't the typical every judge, everybody's saying we're going to do whatever the NFL wants and we'll go to arbitration. As long as this stays in the courts here in southern Nevada and there's an opportunity in the state of Nevada, Gruden can win this case and really put the NFL on notice in discovery and what John Gruden can ask the commissioner or Daniel Snyder or anybody else down the road. Yeah, and it, and it gets to that point of discovery because you got to figure uh, that you know that John Gruden you know wants to win this battle, uh, and and in his eyes again, it's finding out who did this to him because in his mind, um, you know, he lost his job and he lost his reputation as a result of this, and he wants to know who harbored those types of feelings about him enough to want to take him down uh, to that extent, and you got to figure in that quest in that objective. He's probably going to hire uh, some pretty um, knowledgeable, you know, uh, sleuths when it comes to emails and uh, you know being able to to, to follow the whatever footprints, mm-hmm. fingerprints that works to kind of get to the bottom of where this all generated from. Because the, what we do know is this: we don't know who did it, but somebody obviously uh, alerted either both the Washington or the uh, Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. With this information, somebody had to have done it. There has to be some sort of a paper trail in a, um, you know, in a social media type of a way or a computer type of way uh, that gets to the bottom of that. And you figure he spared no no expense in hiring the the, the most knowledgeable people, the experts in that kind of a field, uh, to be able to drill it down to that point. Vinny Bonsignor is our guest. You know, one more thing about this, which is important because I think the season was derailed because of what happened and the timing on this. The timing was incredible because it looked like Gruden was off to a good start Then the rumors of the emails and the loss to the Bears and what happened. On a Tuesday afternoon, I'm interviewing John Gruden. The following Tuesday in the same seat, it's Rich Passaccia, and we saw what happened to the team the rest of the season. I had a front-row view of all of that, and I just don't get it. The timing on this, on when they were leaked, going back to Gruden's time as a broadcaster, not a coach, working for ESPN, ABC, Disney with that capacity there, 
And it happened at a time where it really put Mark Davis in a tough spot with his football team in leadership, and Basachi did a really good job, and they tried to figure out this their way and fight and, and finish the season on a high note. But, man, the Raiders were deeply affected by something that came out of a server in the nation's capital or close with the then-Washington commanders. And I look at it now and I say, man, that had a big, profound effect on the Raiders. Yeah, and, and when you're looking at this from Mark Davis's point of view, uh, in no way, shape, or form does he condone anything that John Gruden said in those in those emails. In fact, it goes against everything that Mark Davis and the Raiders have always stood mm-hmm. for. Um, so there's no condoning anything that that he said. But from Mark Davis and the Raiders' perspective, it's why now? Why are we? Yeah. Why am I first learning about this right now? The Friday before a big game in what was shaping up as a promising season, especially when he later found out or soon after found out that there were people in the league that had access to this, had knowledge of this, way back in June, months before, uh, you know, uh, the middle of the season. And, and from Mark's perspective, it's like you drop this on my lap at the worst possible time and then expect me to just jump into action and fire my coach immediately. Mark Davis never had a chance to do a thorough investigation on his own part. He never had a chance to do the due diligence that any organization should be able to do when making a huge decision like that to get rid of their coach right in the middle of a promising season. And I think he felt like, and I, I, I side with him on this, mm-hmm. that there was some disrespect that was going on and uh, it could have been handled better. If he had just known back in June about this, maybe things could have been handled a little bit differently uh, and it wouldn't have had the damaging effect that it, that it ultimately had for a few weeks right there. Uh, where it kind of sabotaged the season and they had to rally back to just to make the playoffs. Had he known in June, maybe the same outcome would have happened, but they would have been better equipped emotionally and from a planning standpoint and all of that to have dealt with it then before training camp even started as, uh, as opposed to right in the middle of the season. Vinny Bonsignor, as we wrap it up. So I'm doing this Raiders all-time team just for some summer programming. And I'm at the linebackers today. And the obvious choices are Hendricks, Matt Millen, and Rod Martin, Villa Piano. You can go back in the day to some of the old-time guys from the 11 Angry Men. But I want to bring it up to today and how important it is for Dave Ziegler to get this position right. And talking about it with Dave when we did a preview show with him a month ago, I think he understands the importance of this predict, uh, position, but he's not going to overspend. He's not going to go out there and overspend on an aging linebacker. And they got some linebackers. Perryman played at a very high level for this team. Vinny, why in the last 20 years has there been such a struggle throughout so many regimes to find a star, legitimate linebacker since Khalil Mack? Yeah, um, it's, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. And I think that um, you know, they've just done a poor job, frankly, uh, in scouting that uh, position and developing that position. And now you have a regime, I think, that obviously they value the linebacker position uh, tremendously so. But to your point, I'm not so sure that, they're, that, that they look at team building and roster construction and salary cap and look at that particular linebacker position. And we're really talking about more of the inside linebackers, the Spillanes, the Luke Masterson, you know, the Divine Diablos, not the outside rushers who make a lot of money and are very valuable uh, to the operation, as opposed to the linebackers that we're talking about, who, quite frankly, there's many times in the football game now where just one of those guys are on the field. They're getting replaced on a play-by-play basis by cornerbacks, by extra safeties, 
in order to match up in the in the pass game. So the value of that, that particular linebacker spot has gone down. And it's also, when you look at it, there's two positions now uh, that have really decreased in the monetarily in how the NFL values the position. That's running back and that linebacker position. And when you think about it, those guys are dealing with each other almost on every play, whether it's in a block, a tackle situation. It's a very physical, violent position. Um, and I think that the data and the analytics are showing it's probably not wise, short of somebody that's just a spectacular, spectacular talent, it's probably not wise spending a whole lot of money and getting tied up in long-term expensive contracts at that position. But the key to it all is for the Raiders, to whatever extent they pay those linebackers, to start coming up with better players at that position. And even if it's a couple of years and move on and, and you know, the guy right behind that guy that you've been developing, drafted and developed, uh, is able to step in at a more at a moderate uh, you know pay scale uh, to be able to to start churning out talented players and then replace them with players that you're churning out through the through your system and development rather than getting tied up in that uh, position on a, in a big monetary way. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of a lot of ton of money being spent on that position with this regime, and I think that that goes. You look at all the fifth-year options that weren't picked up this past offseason and count how many uh, linebackers are on that list. There's a whole bunch of them. I don't even know if there's one of a player that was drafted as a linebacker that had got, that, that's gotten their fifth-year option picked up for this season. So do you like the philosophy of what they're going to do potentially with the linebackers they have? Spillane and Diablo, again, I've mentioned it to you already, this Diablo conversation and what people are talking about in regards to what he's going to be able to do at Spillane, Diablo, what they might still do at the end of training camp, do you think they're getting closer to the fit for Patrick Graham? Patrick Graham's only going to be as good as the players he has on the field for the scheme, but we keep hearing faster, uh, smarter, and more explosive players. Do you feel like they're on the right track? Uh, well, we'll see. I think the bind, I think I, I, I personally like the Robert Spillane uh, signing, and I don't know um, if he's going to be used exactly the way he was used in Pittsburgh where I felt like there were times where he was put in some positions that he's just really not that proficient at in the pass uh, game uh, in terms of defending the pass game. I do wonder uh, if he'll come off the field in certain situations, uh, whereas a divine Diablo, I think, profiles both in the run defense and pass defense. But he's got to take the step in that direction. He has to be proficient uh, as a pass defender in order to give the Raiders a comfort level to keep him on the field. Uh, on third downs, because again, when I look at this defense, um, there might not be a whole lot of times where you're seeing three linebackers out there, Spillane, Luke Masterson, and Divine Diablo, let alone two. It's often going to be the case where it's just one of those guys out there, whoever can show that they can defend the pass as well as the run, and then the other two be replaced by an extra cornerback. I think you're going to see a lot of three safety uh, looks. That's where Isaiah Palomaro comes into play. That's where Marcus Epps comes into play. That's where Trayvon Merrig uh, comes into play, potentially Roger Teamer uh, as well. I think you're going to start seeing more and more of that and less of the linebackers on the field. All right, Vinny, finally, last one before we get to your proud tequila partner. I want to just get into the calendar here because we know about the vacations. Everyone's out. You know, Guys are working out. Guys are starting to come back here. Guys on vacation are getting that tap on the shoulder. Hey, man, you're on vacation. Are you in shape? Because you got to come back and you got to get ready for training camp. Where are we on the Raiders calendar? Yeah, well, uh, rookies report. What's today? The uh, 12th? Mm-hmm. So rookies report in, in eight days on the 20th. 
uh, and then the veterans, uh, you know, uh, join them on the 25th, and presumably first practice is on the 26th. And I think at this point, when you're, when we're really thinking about the Raiders and talking about the Raiders, it's all about Jimmy G and the upcoming physical. Now, for all for all we know, maybe he's already taken the physical, uh, and everything uh, has been green lit for for him to to start training camp day one. But if he hasn't uh, taken the physical, when is he going to take it? And what are the results going to be? And is he going to be able to start training camp uh, on time, or is it going to be de- delayed a little bit? From my perspective, uh, that's question number one. And until that gets answered, until we're there uh, at, at the practice facility in Henderson on, on July 26th uh, and figuring out whether or not Jimmy G is there on the practice field, I think that's the big looming question and Tyree Wilson, too, because remember, we didn't see Tyree uh, in OTAs or minicap. He was coming off his own foot injury uh, that he suffered at Texas uh, Tech uh, late in his, uh, his season last year. So he wasn't physically ready to go, ready to go uh, in OTAs or minicap. Is he going to get the green light uh, to start training camp as well? Where are you drinking tequila coming up this weekend, Vinny? Yeah, well, it was just uh, it was interesting. I just had a, uh, a meeting uh, with my friends over at uh, Dos Tatas, and they're talking about you know, all their plans for this season and everything that we're going to be doing with the night before parties. Uh, they're always they're at every Boyd uh, location uh, here in, in Las Vegas. Uh, liquor World leads liquors. You can pick it up uh, at, at most, uh, you know, of the, of the big uh, liquor stores out here. But anytime you go to a Boyd property, uh, uh, you'll be able to, to find those those us. Thank you, Vinny. Enjoy the rest of the week. Stay cool. All right, you too. Thank you very much. You got it, Vinny Bonsignor. Great job he does on several different platforms here. As we come back to Raider Nation Radio, the flagship of the Raiders coming up in a few minutes. My choice for the Raiders all-time team linebackers. First team, second team, honorable mentions. I put more honorable mentions in this one than in any category because I kind of feel weird. I feel like there's a bunch of guys who should have been in the top eight like two of them or three of them that I have to get in, and I can't because I got to go with some old school guys. I got to go. I got to go with the guys when it comes to push comes to shove. Not in every case, and maybe not in this case. It'll be a little bit controversial for our radio audience. I got to go with the guys who played in the bigger games or clearly were better athletes. So that's hard because this this is the first six guys I have out of the eight. They just played in bigger games than everybody else. They just played in more playoff games and were more impactful on championship teams. That's why this is the radio version of the all-time Raiders team. Find it first at JT the Brick. I'll tweet it out before I get to it. Coming up here in about uh, 15 minutes or so, Bobby's doing the math and counting me down as we got to thread the needle here. Thanks to Vinny B. Always appreciate his content. Pretty banged up. It was questionable whether or not I was going to be able to play. And um, but I recovered and, and began to respond to the therapy that was there. And so I was going to be available to go out for defensive day. And I get into the locker room and I hear some of the guys talking and I overhear him saying something that, yeah, Ted's going to start for money on Sunday. And I got livid. I just got furious. You know, here I am, 24 years old think that I'm, you know, the king of the universe, et cetera. And I go storming into the coach's locker room and I want to, I said, I want to talk to coach Matt. I want to talk to John. 
So John comes walking out, sits at his desk very calmly, and he says, Monty, what's going on? And I said, is it true? Is it true? I'm not starting on Sunday. He goes, uh, yes, it is. And I pouted like a little two-year-old, kicked the chair that I was sitting in, turned around and walked out. And in a very calm voice, I heard John say, Monty, it would be a good idea for you to come back here and sit down. If you don't, it's going to cost you $5,000 for every minute that you're not in this room. (laughs) Got my attention. I came back and sat down. That's Monty Johnson exclusively with me. I don't know, two years ago, maybe we talked to him three years ago, Bobby said. As we continue on, the Raiders all-time team. I'll get to that coming up here. Quick short segment here. The All-Star game was last night, and I enjoyed it. Uh, National League won uh, first time in 10 years, right? They lost nine in a row, so they were able to win this game here. Exciting game at the end of the game because there were no runs being scored. Uh, Final call here as the National League finally breaks the streak. Here's a 2-2. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Kimbrell closes it out, and the National League wins it. Elias Diaz with the home run to give the NL the lead and the National League coming into Seattle and winning the All-Star game for the first time since 2012. Yeah, they got it done, and that's on ESPN Radio. They won the game, they did it, and they did it in impressive fashion. I got to tell you that. It's hard to hit in the All-Star game. The pitchers are just too good. You got closers who are pitching in the third inning. Closers. You got closers from the fifth inning on, you know, relief pitchers who are just throwing. And guys are trying to hit home runs. Remember that, too. Who goes to the home plate? Who goes to the home plate at an all-star game and doesn't want to hit a jack? And that's what happens in that situation. So with all that going down, with all that going down, there's just not a lot of action in an all-star game recently. But the National League needed that one desperately. And the big baseball topic going forward, it's countdown to Otani. Ken Rosenthal reported during the game last night that he doesn't think Artie Moreno is going to trade him. He doesn't want to be remembered as an owner of the Angels who traded away maybe the greatest player of all time or most unique player of all time. So baseball will kick in on Friday again. I think the Otani talk will go right back to the trade deadline. Congratulations to everybody over at NBA Summer League because they had sellout after sellout. Now I think you can finally get in the joint. If you didn't have a ticket, it was tough to get in. I've been there twice, and the crowds are electric. And the whole thing with Wembanyama, and how often are we going to see him play? He was shut down, and he played well. He played in two games. I'm not going to complain on that. I don't think you have to play him every game. It's the preseason's preseason of the preseason. You don't want to get him hurt. But they got a lot of good basketball players out there, a tremendous amount. The Pat Fitzgerald story is building steam at Northwestern. He's all lawyered up, and he wants to make sure his legacy is taken care of. That story is really going to develop in a big way. And countdown to F1. More on F1 coming sooner than you think from traffic in Vegas and to some of the activations. And then right after that, the Super Bowl. When we come back, the Raiders linebackers all-time team. I'll give you my choices with a lot of help from you as we continue. You know, you know, once uh, some other footage came out and we, you could see, but you could also see that Jack Tatum smashes right into the back of Fenchy Fuqua. No, I mean, he comes over to kind of come over the shoulder. 
So it could hit Jack Tatum's uh, Jack Tatum's shoulder pad. But when I saw that and I saw the hand, I said, "Oh my God!" You know this. This looks <laughs> like the real deal. Yeah. And if it is the real deal, then the Raiders are right and, you know, the Steelers are wrong. But, JT, it took 50 years for them to come up with that. All right, JT, as we continue on here, as we wrap up our linebacker edition here on Raider Nation Radio, the Raiders radio all-time team as we've been putting this together, and I appreciate all the participation Especially this week, you know, summertime radio, trying to keep people involved, trying to give people some good content. You know, I love my job. It is not a labor of love. I absolutely love what I do. But this has been work. There's been a lot of work here, a lot of writing notes and talking to people and trying to figure out how to make sure we don't offend anybody, which we're not because we're doing a radio bit. It's kind of a bit without comedy. We're coming through here and trying to uh, get some Raider education out there. For Raider fans, and one of the things that this project has proved to me is how smart Raider fans are and how important the history is of this team. Without the history of this team, you know, what do the Raiders have? They have their current team. They have their future in Las Vegas. But once a Raider, always a Raider. And if you look back at the greatest players to ever play in this league, many of them are Raiders, and they're the players that we're discussing over this two-and-a-half to three-week period heading into training camp. So when I looked at the linebackers, I think I had a pretty good idea who would be on this list. You know, a general idea. But when I decided to go linebackers, as I said throughout the show today, I just wanted to do top eight because I didn't want to do middle linebacker, outside linebacker. And if you want to do that, you want to be really detailed and have the middle linebackers together and do that, maybe that's a good topic for a podcast. But I'm trying to get four starters and four reserves in. And I have to deal with the different eras of the Raiders. And I continue to go back to the 60s where the sport was primarily defense, right? They didn't throw the ball like Drew Brees and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. They just didn't. They ran the ball a lot. You had great offensive linemen. And in order to combat those great offensive linemen, you had to have great defensive linemen and linebackers because there was so much running. And, of course, there were great quarterbacks back in the day, Joe Namath, Johnny Unitas. You go back to Len Dawson, Terry Bradshaw. And then when the passing game started to evolve, and I'm talking starting to evolve in the 60s, obviously into the heyday of the 70s, the Raiders linebackers were asked to do more. They had to drop into coverage. They had to rush the passer. They had to do more than just basic football and tackle and tackle the guys in front of them. But going back to the 1967 team the 11 angry men and continuing to look back on who played on that team who started on that 13 and 1 team you know you go back and look at that team that was the greatest Raiders defense of all time no debate and the Raiders had great defensive teams when they won Super Bowl 11 15 and 18 I mean if you could put together an all-star team of those who won all those Super Bowls including Ted Hendricks who I'm going to get to in a moment and look at those players how do you compare Rod Martin to a player like Gus Otto I don't know I don't know I'm just looking at the stats I'm talking to people I'm listening to you so really difficult here to look at the different eras but linebacker is a position that I believe has evolved the most including the tight end position that we're going to get to next week you look at recently Darren Waller you go back to Todd Christensen or look at Gronkowski today and others 
not only do the tight ends have to block, that's their priority, but they have to be unbelievable in the passing game. And now many tight ends are wide receivers. They're kind of like wide receivers or slot receivers. So that's the evolution of that position. Now when we stay with the linebacker position, I think it's evolving to more and more players who are hybrid linebackers. I repeat, I think a big part of the Raiders going forward, hybrid linebackers who can come in and specifically define a role. And as Dave Ziegler says, you know, bring in some disruption. This is about being a linebacker, disrupting the plays. And as we've talked about the last day and a half, the only disappointment is that the Raiders have really struggled to draft and develop linebackers over many regimes. Not many regimes have struggled in this scenario. Jack Del Rio was a very good linebacker, very good in this league here. And you go back to some of the linebackers and Reggie McKenzie, who was a general manager for this team, a very good linebacker that we mentioned earlier in the show. Mike Mayock. Really knew talent well. He did. Mike Mayock knows talent. He's immersed in the NFL. Trying to find linebackers. And as we look at this new group, as they come over from the Patriots, they had damn good linebackers who knew their role. I've said this. I think Teddy Bruschi is a Hall of Famer because of the amount of playoff games he played and Super Bowl wins. So when a lot of linebackers were eliminated from the playoffs, Teddy Bruschi was just starting to go into the playoffs and dominate playoff games and play well. Willie McGinnis, you go through other linebackers and great players from the Patriots and what they were able to do. They had really good linebackers who some of them were unsung and they weren't Hall of Famers, and a lot of that could be said of this Raiders list. As we look back, there are some really good linebackers who are not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. All right, so the tough decision today after several phone calls on and off the record, your calls And some of the names that we mentioned, and in this honorable mention category, and I'm going to tweet this out coming up here at JT the Brick. I'm only going to have three honorable mentions. But I wanted to mention some names. Jerry Robinson, great friend of the show. What a career that he had. Uh, Seven seasons with the Raiders, 12 interceptions, 15 fumble recoveries. I mean, 97 games overall with the Raiders there, coming from the Eagles as a first-round pick. He lost to the Raiders in the Super Bowl as a member of the Eagles. Aaron Wallace, eight years with the Raiders, 35 starts in 102 games. Uh, Jeff Barnes. God, Jeff Barnes was so good. Jeff Barnes is a two-time Super Bowl champion, 11 seasons with the team. 157 regular season games total. How many playoff appearances I have here? I want to check. I believe I have, I believe I have thirteen playoff appearances. Thirteen from seventy-seven to eighty-seven. Jeff Barnes, who I get a chance to see all the time, and he listens to this show. This guy's a bleep and honorable mention, man. He was a great player. Not the greatest Raiders all-time linebacker, but in conversation. Kirk Morrison, who we mentioned, five seasons didn't miss a game, only missed one start. Uh, he amassed. 496 tackles in 80 games. That's a big number. Uh, George Atkinson reminded me about Gerald Irons. 1973rd round pick, six seasons, 77 games, 56 starts, seven interceptions. The late, great Thomas Howard, who passed away unexpectedly. I loved his athletic ability. He really was a favorite up in Oakland in the black hole. Man, I miss Thomas Howard. Would love to see him around the organization now. Reggie McKenzie, former linebacker with the team, former general manager with the team, a great Raider, a fabulous Raider, the great Reggie McKenzie. And how about Bruce Irvin? 
Bruce Irvin, who played really well when he came to the Raiders, known more for the Legion of Boom team and the team that played in Seattle, but I wanted to get him here on the list. And Bob Nelson, a two-time Super Bowl champion at linebacker, started and won two Super Bowls for the Raiders. No doubt about it, an honorable mention just outside the top of the list. No doubt, out of Nebraska, 1975 second-round pick. Uh, And Carl Weathers, let's get Apollo Creed in here. Carl Weathers, Apollo Creed. How could you leave off Apollo Creed on any great Raider linebacker list? And when Carl Weathers lit the torch last year and comes back and sits with Mark Davis, no doubt a fan favorite as we get rolling here. So let me take a look at where we're at now is I want to take a look at the top eight linebackers, uh, the starters and the reserves. And again, you could flip-flop and put a reserve into a starter. Uh, This is just my decision on Raiders Radio on who I believe are the top eight linebackers in Raider history. We begin with the obvious one. Everybody's been talking about him since yesterday, Ted Hendricks, the mad stalk. Uh, Hendricks is on the Mount Rushmore of the greatest linebackers of all time, and that says a lot. Lawrence Taylor, I think, is number one. Ray Nitschke, Ray Lewis, very high on that list. But Hendricks, the four-time Super Bowl champ, maybe the most versatile linebacker and dominant. Lawrence Taylor was more dominant. But it's very close. It's like 1-1-A. One one and for the Stork to come to the Raiders in 1975, as I said in the monologue, what a miracle. He played nine seasons with the Raiders, but he played with the Colts and the Packers before the Raiders. And how the hell the Colts and the Packers let Ted Hendricks go is really a 30-for-30 30 30 or a Raiders life when it comes up here in the documentary series. The fact that the Raiders were able to get Ted Hendricks We talk about these great trades and free agents and moves and how it happened. We're going to dive into that a little bit more because Ted Hendricks is the greatest linebacker in Raiders history, and no one's even close to him. The three-time Super Bowl champ, also won with the Colts, four-time Super Bowl champion, I think is a fantastic player. Fantastic player. Uh, With my starters, I'm including Rod Martin, of course, the right outside linebacker, Uh, the, uh, the 1977 draft. When he came into the Raiders, it took him a year to get rolling, and he got rolling. 165 games, 147 starts, a two-time Pro Bowler, uh, a one-time All-Pro, two Super Bowls, 33 and a half sacks, and Rod Martin had 14 interceptions, and no one will ever forget the three interceptions that happened in Super Bowl 15. One of the greatest defensive performances of all time in this proud organization, all time, is by Rod Martin securing the Super Bowl for the Raiders in Super Bowl 15. Jim Plunkett was the MVP. You could go back and debate Rod Martin. And Rod's in and around here. He moved here. We get a chance to see him a lot. So Rod Martin on the all-time team. I put Phil Villapiano on this team as a starter because I think Foo emphasizes everything That is right about this organization, period. You want to go the definition, once a Raider, always a Raider? It's Phil Villapiano. You want to take a look at the history of this organization and someone who speaks about it on NFL films and tells the story of the Raiders? You can't find anyone at the level of Phil Villapiano, period. Foo, great friend of the show, great friend in life. I believe the impact that he had in Super Bowl XI, the goal line stand early in the game, causing a fumble that... Changed the tide of the Super Bowl. I think the Raiders still would have beat the Vikings. You never know if they would have caught an early touchdown in that game. 
Filipiano was unbelievable. 71 to 79, the outside linebacker, Super Bowl 11. 11 interceptions in his career, 17 fumble recoveries. I mean, the guy was all over the place, and he missed one start in 118 games, which without a doubt was the toughest era in the history of the NFL. No one will change my mind. The mid to late 70s, the toughest era in football, and Villapiano never came off the field and made big plays. I have Phil Villapiano on the Raiders' all-time starters at linebacker. And then the other one that I wanted to put in here, because I think he deserves it, is Matt Millen. Uh, Matt Millen's career, uh, just incredible. A four-time Super Bowl champ. He won the Super Bowl as a rookie coming into the Raiders, had an immediate impact in the second round out of Penn State. Nine seasons, 133 regular season games. He started 127 of them. 11 playoff games, two Super Bowls, four total, a two-time All-Pro. You cannot tell the history of the Raiders organization without the great Matt Millen, who's now our preseason broadcaster, uh, around the team a lot, uh, definitely someone I look up to. You know, if you want to talk middle linebackers, you know, I got two in here. And there's a couple of good ones on the second team. So Phil Villapiano, Matt Millen, Rod Martin, and Ted Hendricks. Those are my top four linebackers in Raiders history. Ted Hendricks is one. No particular order for the next seven. And the four I'm about to mention, one or two of them could be in the top four. That's what makes these, you know, radio contests or promotions fun. Let me move to the second unit led by Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack is one of the greatest defensive forces to ever come into this organization. He is a great young man. He's now a charger. He's on the enemies list. But what a career he had with the Raiders cut short because of financial decisions and the inability not to get him under contract. And that will be a debated topic for decades to come. Technically an outside linebacker. For those who tweeted and said, hey, how come you don't have Khalil as an edge rusher? No, technically he was drafted as a linebacker. Ted Hendricks came off the edge. Lawrence Taylor, the greatest of all time, was the greatest edge rusher. He was an outside linebacker who lined up on the edge, similar to Khalil Mack. But the key to Khalil Mack is the fact that he won the Defensive Player of the Year. And in that year, 2015, first team All-Pro, the first to ever do it at two positions, linebacker and defensive end. In 64 games with the Raiders, he had 40 and a half sacks. 40 and a half sacks for Khalil Mack. And, you know, Khalil Mack, I could have put there on the top. I, I really could have moved Khalil into first team. And the same with Max Crosby, or oh, I wasn't going to move into first team. I got Max Crosby on the second team for defensive linemen. Khalil Mack easily could have been here. You could say, if you argue Khalil Mack's a better football player than Rod Martin, that's a fun barroom debate. If you want to talk about different eras, Khalil Mack over Matt Millen, have that debate. But the gentleman I put in the first team just had a much bigger and longer presence with the silver and black, which has a lot to do with the people I'm talking to and the people who are not voting technically, but are looking at it that way. Uh, next, I'm going to go with uh, Dan Connors. Dan Connors, the legendary AFL All-Star, the middle linebacker, a three-time AFL All-Star, 11 years, 154 games. Dan Connors, part of the 11 Angry Men, one of the greatest Raiders of all time, period. Uh, you can move Dan Connors. The debate would be where do you put Connors compared to Matt Millen and Phil Villapiano? Great debate. 
Hit me up on Twitter at JT the Brick. There are some old timers who told me that Connors should be on the first team or the second team. It was really a tough debate on this. I have Dan Connors on that list. Also, now here are my really tough decisions here as we continue on. I got Gus Otto. A Gus Otto from 1965 to 1972. You think of Jim Otto as the greatest center or one of them of all time. How about Gus Otto? The linebacker for the Raiders played from 65 to 72, 102 games. The 11 angry men, a four-time All-Pro. A four-time All-Pro. There are a lot of Raiders that I'm mentioning, honorable mention, not on the first or second team. You might think is, are as good as Gus Otto. They don't have a Pro Bowl, and they, had, they didn't play in big playoff games. So I got to go back old school and go Gus Otto. That was not a difficult decision, but a debatable decision. And then finally, I'm going to go with Monty Johnson. Monty Johnson, the member of the Super Bowl Eleven team, played with a broken back vertebrae in the ghost of the post game. The legend who came out of Nebraska, what a career he had with the Raiders. And he had a career with the Raiders that is so important because he was one of those faces of the Raiders and tough Raider guys there. Seven seasons, 11 playoff appearances. 11. Okay, at that time, Super Bowl eleven. He played middle and outside. The reason why I have Monty Johnson here on the second unit as one of the great Raider linebackers of all time is his versatility to play middle and outside. Very versatile player, very emotional player that I think is worthy of this here too. Could I have left him off the list for my next guy who I have an honorable mention, Greg Beekert. So when it comes down to this, if I got to look Raider fans in the eye or Raider players in the eye, Who's better, Monty Johnson, Gus Otto, or Greg Beekert? Greg Beekert was a hell of a player. And Greg Beekert recovered the fumble in the tuck rule game that was disallowed, and that would have been his legacy play. And that would have been a hell of a legacy because I think Greg would have ended up going into the Super Bowl and having an impact to the captain of that defense at the Super Bowl or being the leader of that defense. I have Greg Beekert as an honorable mention. And as we look at the honorable mentions that I have here as I put it together, Greg Beekert, uh, Jeff Barnes, and Rob Nelson. Rob Nelson, a two-time Super Bowl linebacker for the Raiders, two Super Bowl rings on that list. Kirk Morrison, the other players that were there, all great in this discussion. But we took eight and three honorable mentions. The Raider list at linebacker is strong, very strong as we look. I even like guys like Tahir Whitehead, not an all-timer, but a good player who played in this organization. Remember Vontez Perfect. I wish Vontez played with a little bit less reckless abandon and what could have been him with the Raiders a few more years here. You go down the list. I'm friends with Miles Burris. He's just a linebacker per se, but he's a Raider like Rob Fredrickson, Winston Moss. These are very good players who played. Elijah Alexander, but, you know, Randy McClanahan. A lot of Raiders here and a lot of people that tweeted at me. But again, as we wrap this up, Ted Hendricks, Matt Millen, Phil Villapiano, Rod Martin, Khalil Mack, Dan Connors, Monty Johnson, Gus Otto, and my honorable mentions, Greg Beekert, Jeff Barnes, Bob Nelson, and there's probably a couple I left off the list, but I'm just trying to do my best. Just trying to do my best here. Uh, now, tomorrow, we're gonna, uh, Bobby and I haven't decided actually what we're going to do tomorrow because we've been overwhelmed with this all week. 
and our Reggie Jackson interview. So if you go to my Twitter at JT the Brick, you want to hear it in advance. Hour number two tomorrow, I'm going to throw to that interview. I did 45 minutes with Mr. October yesterday morning, and I'm just thrilled to release that here to the Raider Nation because he's involved with the Raiders. Reggie Jackson's at a lot of Raiders games, sitting with Mark Davis, uh, loves the Raiders, also loves the Steelers. Very good friends with Franco Harris before he passed away. But you're going to see Reggie Jackson more and more around the silver and black in years to come. So we'll get to that tomorrow. Thanks to all of our proud partners today who helped me put together the Raiders radio all-time team as we wrap up the linebackers. I think Bobby and I are leaning to going to tight ends tomorrow, but we only have Friday and we only have an hour before the Reggie Jackson interview. So I might just do a bunch of recap and we'll take a look at the news That article from ESPN on Daniel Snyder torpedoing himself, John Gruden. I don't think anybody on the radio knows more about that topic than I do. And I'm I'm erring on the side of caution on what's going to happen as Daniel Snyder had a really big and negative impact on the Raiders. And again, I've never condoned what John Gruden wrote on emails to his friends. But you know what I feel about Coach Gruden over the years? What I feel about Mark Davis and that article today at ESPN is a whirlwind. And in, 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 on top of uh, prepping this show today, I spent about an hour reading that thing with my fourth grade vocabulary. It took me an hour to get through that ESPN article there. And I know uh, that's a big topic here on the channel today and more people will talk about it. I'm going to wait more until we see what happens with Coach Gruden in court and what happens with the NFL, who should be very concerned, as I've been telling you for quite some time. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening today. Thanks to Bobby. Uh, everybody who put this show together and everybody who's on Twitter and calling into the show. I greatly appreciate it. We could not do this summer project of the Raiders all-time team exclusively on Raider Nation Radio. No affiliation with the team. Just our gang here on the radio without the help of Bobby and a lot of people behind the scenes as we get you ready coming into the weekend. And we'll have a bucket of Modelo's tomorrow on Friday and what I think is going to be a fantastic weekend coming up here, man. We're going we're gonna to have a couple of, of good shows coming up here as we wrap this up, including what we have lined up for Thursday, what we have lined up for Friday, everything that we're doing here on the show. I'm really excited about it because we're busy. We're busy. I'm even looking at the calendar trying to figure out what the rest of the offseason is going to look like. There's only a couple more weeks before training camp, and this is the official, the official flagship station of the Silver and Black.